Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up, if you would, with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 15 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Just a few verses today. Not as much uh, like Jesus as I wish I was. Not as much like the Lord as I will be, I hope. But we do have something in common. I resonated with the Lord's experience in the passage Nathan read earlier because every single Sunday a lawyer stands up to put me to the test. And uh, right down in the hall, I get peppered with questions and uh, about whatever it is I've just preached on. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. And God, we thank you for the opportunity it gives us for love. God, we ask you if you would, please open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Be changed by it today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have three children, and in my years as a father, I've learned that kids are kind of weird. It's just kind of funny how it works out. They're, they're so funny. You know, we have to beg them to do what we love. Can you imagine what you would feel like this afternoon if someone came to you and said, I just wish you would take a nap? You know, we spend all day thinking about what we're going to eat that day, and we have to beg kids to sit down and eat. It's like this with our youngest. He's six. His name's Jim. Jim's our third child, you know. I don't know how else to say it. Um, if you know Jim, you understand what I mean by this. Jim's just Jim. And uh, we just deal with Jim. Something's going on with Jim all, all the time. And so, but constantly, Jim's busy. I mean, he's just running around and having a good time and um, doesn't ever slow down. Um, if you went our home right now, I mean, you see four or five different places where Jim had stopped to build something out of Play-Doh or work on this or work on that. He's got stations all around the house. We don't have stations of the cross. We have stations of Jim just everywhere in our home. So the other day, we're in one of these modes where we're trying to talk Jim into eating something for breakfast. Jim, you've got to eat something. You've got to have something to eat. What do you want to eat, Jim? And so Whitney was like, Jim, what do you want for breakfast? And he looked at her and he said, love cereal and she said what in the world is love cereal I don't know Jim what do you want for breakfast he said mom I want love cereal she's like Jim what are you talking about and he said you know a big bowl two spoons me and you Jim's a hopeless romantic. <laughs> Takes after his dad. Love's in the air, isn't it? 
Love's in the air. We're thinking about love this weekend. Brothers, the Super Bowl ends tonight. After that, it's officially Valentine's Day. So don't, get, don't, don't be distracted by the Super Bowl. Miss the important work you have to do this week, okay? Now, I want you to know, think about this. Love is in the air, but I feel like sometimes authentic Christian freedom has fallen on hard times. Love is in the air, and if you're still looking for a good Valentine's gift, may I suggest love cereal. It's a good option, Valentine's morning. But authentic Christian liberty seems to have fallen on hard times. Some Christians see a liberty of conscience or freedom that the Bible talks about as sort of a problem. Sort of a problem. This might be the more legalistic of those among us, or even churches that tend to be more legalistic. And they say any sort of freedom among the people that God's drawn in, they see it almost as a problem. No, we all have to be sort of uniform in this way. There needs to be some uh, a homogenous nature to our fellowship. One person can't make a decision on this and another on that. And listen, there are all sorts of hills on which Christians are willing to die. I mean, all sorts of things people get worked up about. Some see Christian liberty, Christian freedom, a liberty of conscience as a problem. Others abuse it. Others abuse it. Aren't, aren't we free in Christ? And they almost want to finish the sentence to do whatever we want. <laughs> no. I think some churches, some groups, some individuals abuse grace. Paul sort of highlights this abuse in the book of Romans, doesn't he? So should we sin, though that grace may abound? All of our answer must be Paul's answer. May it never be. I think it's falling on hard times because some see it as a problem, some abuse it, and others of us just aren't really sure what to do with it. I know I need to obey Jesus. I know I'm free. I know I shouldn't feel guilty all the time. I ought to be drinking deeply of grace and going this way. But what exactly do I do with a free conscience? What exactly do I do with Christian liberty? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Christian liberty is an opportunity for love. Christian liberty, the freedom we've been given in Jesus, the way our conscience has been set free from being bound by the law and bound by the elemental principles of the world. We are no longer governed by those sorts of things, but instead, by the Holy Spirit, we have had the law written on our hearts, and now we're called to live out the love which God has showered on us. That is what our freedom is for. I want to show you this morning... Just three simple points about how our freedom in Christ or our Christian liberty ought to lead us to love. I I love the passages we read this morning because they're examples of the way that Jesus taught and Jesus exemplified living out the love that God has given us. I want to show you three points this morning. Here's the first. Christian freedom is not for the flesh. The first of the three points that are showing us the way that our liberty or our freedom ought to lead us to love, Christian freedom or Christian liberty is not for the flesh. Now, have you ever seen someone who gets their freedom? I I have. Uh, I've seen someone, whether it be a college freshman or someone who's just had an experience of grace, or, or if you've met someone who for a long time was in a really difficult situation and then later came out of it and came into some freedom, oftentimes there's a good thing, obviously. It's good to get your freedom, but sometimes there's a temptation. 
If you wonder, sort of, okay, what does the human heart like to do with freedom? Do this. Ask your kid today what they would do if they were president. Ask your kid what they would do if they were president. The answer is sometimes, sometimes it's something like world peace or something like that, but usually it's unlimited pizza and video games. That's what we want to do with freedom, you know? And in their minds, being president is the freest thing in the world. Sounds like the worst job in the world to me. No freedom at all. You can't do anything, you know, except lead this country. Here's the reality. When we hear that we have this sort of freedom, so oftentimes there's a temptation that starts to evolve where we start to think about what we want to do with that freedom. And it's not always something good. Now, now think about this. Paul has been working so hard to ensure that the Galatians do not submit again to the slavery of works. And this is important because they have been bought by the blood of Jesus. They have become people of grace. They are no longer bound by the law. They're no longer bound by the elemental principles of the world if they had pagan roots. And now they have a freedom in Jesus. And I think it's an authentic, genuine freedom. And I think it's important, Paul is so emphatic about grace that perhaps some of us do feel like this is, a, this is a hall pass a little bit for sin. Maybe some of the Galatians were starting to feel tempted in that direction. Well, God's forgiven me. He's given me this grace. He loves me no matter what. Maybe I should sin so that grace may abound. And so Paul then here is showing the other side of the coin. He's showing the ditch on the other side of the road. He's showing the challenge and, and the and the the temptation that we might have, and that's to use our freedom for the flesh, to gratify the flesh, to indulge the flesh, to live out the passions of the flesh. Paul shows a list of those things, the way we can live out the flesh here later in chapter 5. But instead, Paul's encouraging them not to use their freedom for the flesh, but to use their freedom for love. Now, in the Christian life and in the history of the church, this sort of using freedom for the flesh has played itself out in two errors that I think are sort of cousins. Okay? Two cousin errors. Now, these are big words, so just bear with me. I'm going to give you definitions of them. And then no longer would this word master you. Now, you are the master of this word once you have the definition, right? It's yours now. So the first is this. first error that often happens is the sin of antinomianism it's a crazy word um, the greek word for law is nomos right so antinomianism is an idea that you think there are no moral commands no moral laws that are binding on christians whatsoever it's pretty simple we all know people who are like this it's the it's represented by paul's sentence should we sin so that grace may abound some, some people would just say antinomianism means that we live totally in freedom and that there are no moral commands that are binding on Christians. But there's a cousin to antinomianism, not only that there really are no moral commands, but also libertinism. Being a libertine is the idea that we actively want to sin so that grace may abound. So it's a little worse than antinomianism. Maybe the antinomian might still try to obey Jesus, whereas the libertine isn't even really trying. They just think grace has gotten me covered. I'm going to press on in life as it is. And for some of us, we feel these temptations in very real ways. Maybe even as I've preached through Galatians, you found yourself thinking, well, thank the Lord that I'm no longer bound 
by the law. And that probably means I can now jump into a little bit, maybe just dip my toe into this sin or that sin or whatever else. No, sin is sin. And what God has said is what God has said, my friends. But we can feel this sort of temptation toward these things. But I want you to know that this using freedom for the flesh is its own form of slavery. Using freedom for the flesh is its own form of slavery. Now think, now think about this. Think about how beautiful this is. Paul has said that you are set free from the slavery of the law. Okay, now that's for those of us, I think a lot about those of us who maybe grew up in a old, more legalistic environment. Many of us did. Many of us, there were just certain things that maybe weren't even in the Bible. But if you did it, that just means you're not, you're, if you are a Christian, you're barely one. Okay? And there, it's different in every community. There are all kinds of ways that we tend to, to sort of encourage and, and, and break up into tribes and develop a form of tribalism. But maybe you grew up in a more legalistic environment, more legalistic background. And so you heard the gospel, and for a long time you thought the only way God's ever going to love me is if I act right. And then you realized that if I don't, I, I haven't, I don't act right. I'm imperfect. I'm a sinner, and Jesus loves me anyway. And you may be, you may feel tempted toward a form of, of legalism. I mean, or or toward a form of sort of rebellion or indulging your flesh. Now that you feel this freedom, but imagine someone else. Imagine a brother or sister who didn't grow up in a legalistic environment. Imagine a brother or sister who didn't grow up in a Christian home. Imagine someone who grew up in a home where anything goes. Someone who even spent years indulging their flesh and doing nothing but indulging their flesh. Were they not a slave to their flesh as well? You may have been a slave to the law, but they were a slave to their flesh I've talked to countless people who would come to me and say, Brother Matt, I felt like all I could do was sin. I wanted to tighten my life up. I wanted to clean up. I, I, I wanted to quit using. I wanted to quit doing these things. I wanted to quit harming my family in this way. I wanted to get my life together and I couldn't. All sorts of folks are saved from all different sorts of things, but all of them are true in the same way that apart from Christ and apart from the Spirit, we are slaves through sin, either to the law or, or to our own flesh. And oftentimes, a little bit of both. So I want you to know this, O Christian, who feels this little bit of a temptation toward dipping your toe back into sin or saying, well, I've got freedom in Jesus to, to sin. May that never be the case. Because I want you to know that using your freedom for the flesh is its own form of slavery. It's its own form of slavery. Sin never gives us what it promises. It never gives us the pleasure that it seems to offer. God has graciously given us all freedom from our flesh through the gospel. Why would we then submit ourselves to it again? You see, Christian freedom simply means that we are now free to love and serve God because we've been adopted as sons by grace through faith and according to the Spirit. And we are now, rather than trying to conform to something on the outside or trying to live according to our own flesh, we now have the Holy Spirit in us and something has happened on the inside and we are now growing by grace and obeying God by grace through faith according to the Spirit. Don't miss the beauty and joy of what it means to be free in Christ to obey God. 
So the Christian life is not just about what we don't do, though. It's about what we get to do. So that leads us to our second point. Not only is Christian freedom not for the flesh, but second of all, Christian freedom gives birth to love and service. Christian freedom gives birth to love and service. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What a beautiful, what a beautiful principle this is. And what better example do we have of how to use our freedoms for the love of another than our Lord Jesus Christ Himself? One commentator helped me see this. What better example do we have of this principle? Now, have you ever stopped and just put yourself in Jesus' shoes? I hope you have, maybe once or twice. And just thought about what it might be like to be Jesus. I don't think about that too long, you know. Uh, you might get used to it. That's not a happy place to be. But, but think about it for just a moment. Was there anyone ever who was more free than Christ? Anyone ever who was more free than Christ? Let me ask you this. In all sincerity, are there things you're willing to do at home that you're not willing to do at church? Goodness, I hope so. You know, they're just things you do at home that you're not willing to do church you'll get undressed at church by god's grace things you withhold there are certain conversations that are best to have in private right there's a is there not a freedom you have at home there's a freedom you have at home or even among your people that you don't have somewhere else sometimes i'm invited to travel and speak places just every once in a while and uh a lot of times i prefer now listen when someone invites me to stay in their home it's a it's a wonderful kindness. And I love Christian hospitality. I love being around other believers. But I want you to know when you're going to preach among people you don't know, you spend a whole lot of time just talking to folks and kind of being on. You all know what I mean by that? Being, just being on a little bit. And so sometimes it's nice at the end of the day to be able to retreat into a little bit of privacy just so you can fully relax. But if you're staying in someone's home, it's hard to do. So oftentimes I prefer a hotel if I'm in that kind of environment, despite how much I love Christian hospitality this is the principle i want you to think through as you consider what it would have meant for jesus to come into the world that he made that belonged to him it's his he could do anything he wants there he could treat it like the owner can you imagine having the power that jesus had the wisdom that jesus had the knowledge that jesus had the authority that jesus had in this world that's exactly what satan is trying to tempt jesus with in the in the in the desert, in the wilderness, he's trying to tempt Jesus to take what's his by right apart from the cross. To use his what? His freedom. Jesus is free to turn stones into bread. Jesus was free, right, to take all the nations of the world and make them his. Uh, Jesus was free later on, was he not? to call legions of angels down to deliver Him. He had perfect freedom, and yet what held Christ's freedom in check? Why did Jesus always stay about His Father's business? Why did Jesus set a face 
like flint toward Jerusalem, Luke tells us, where he would die. (coughs) Was it not love that bound the freedom of our Lord? Was it not love? Was it not love that (coughs) channeled the freedom and the ministry and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Whose life was more bound by love? Whose freedom was more limited by love for others? Christian freedom gives birth to love and service. You see, Christ fulfilled the whole law, but the New Testament reiterates that God's moral standards are eternal. And so while I don't believe that the entirety of the Old Testament law is binding on Christians now, I do recognize, though, that God does not deny Himself. God doesn't contradict Himself. And so things that were true and right and good three, four, five thousand years ago are true and right and good now. Christ fulfilled the whole law, but the New Testament reiterates that God's moral standards are eternal. We see throughout the New Testament the way that the authors pick up things that God had said in the past and remind Christians that they're true today. Sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Yesterday, today, and forever. Ultimately, what we're called to do is live out the law of God by the Spirit, thanks to what Jesus has done for us. And the way that we live this law out by the Spirit looks like love. That's why Paul says the whole law can be summed up this way, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Each week, the kids, uh, as part of their curriculum upstairs with the Gospel Project during Children's Church, there's a little video that comes on. It's called Questions for Kids. Okay? And so it's a question that someone from LifeWay's answered, a question a kid might have. And so every once in a while, my kids come home all the time begging me to do questions for kids. So every once in a while, Lydia and I will record a video where I've done questions for kids. Well, Wednesday night, we sort of did children's church. And so Lydia and I did questions for kids for Wednesday night. And here was the question. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. How can I do that? You know what my answer was? You can't. End of video. I'm just kidding. We kept going. But that was my answer. That was my answer. The most frustrating answer you can hear. You can't do it. You can't do the law. Is also the most glorious and wonderful answer you can hear because it gives you a freedom to trust Jesus who perfectly loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself. And what I told them is, then that law of love gets written on our hearts and by the Holy Spirit we begin to become more and more like Jesus and over time we can live out what God has called us to, not from our own flesh, but through Jesus. That question really is, how can I obey the law? You can't. But your conscience and your heart have been liberated by grace and by the love of Jesus. And now you're living out God's law because it's been written not on tablets of stone, but on the fleshly tablet of your heart. It's been written there by the Holy Spirit. And from the inside out, you are being transformed. You see, so often we see God's commands and God's desires in the wrong light. We see them as a burden. But for the Christian, there are opportunities. Now imagine this, some point or another today, you're going to start getting hungry. I would guess. Start thinking about supper. 
And imagine what a burden it would be if I came to you and said, for you to eat supper tonight, for you to eat supper tonight, you know what you have to do? You have to drive to Birmingham to eat. It's your only option for eating. You have to drive to Birmingham. You're like, my goodness, this is ridiculous. You know? I don't want to drive to, to Birmingham to eat. I want to eat right here in Gadsden. It's a huge hassle. What a burden. Now imagine this. Imagine if I came up to you after church and said, listen, Whitney and I got an amazing gift certificate to this great restaurant in Birmingham. Okay, and so tonight we're going to take you with us. No, no, no. We can't use it. You don't want to go eat with a preacher. It's the last thing, you know. I'm going to give you the gift certificate. We can't use it. It expires tomorrow. We can't go. I want you to be able to go. And tonight, you're going to go to one of the best new restaurants in America that's right there in downtown Birmingham. You're going to eat and eat all you want and enjoy it. Would you be like, my goodness, what a burden. No. You'd say, what an opportunity. Get to eat at Helen tonight and enjoy ourselves and have a good time. Enjoy a great meal. Sure, we got to drive to Birmingham, but who cares? What a blessing, what a joy, what an opportunity. Do you see what the Holy Spirit does to God's commands? Think about what the law says to you. The law says you can't do what God has asked you to do. In order to obey God, in order to be loved by God, you better do what these things say. That's how our flesh and the law conspire together. You better do this to be accepted. But what the Holy Spirit says is, guess what? You are accepted by grace through faith by God, and you have an opportunity to obey your Father. Something you couldn't do before. Isn't it a joy to please your Father? It's not a burden, is it? No. It's a joyful opportunity. Nobody's ever been driving quickly down a winding road and said, what I wouldn't give to get rid of those guardrails, they're really inhibiting my freedom. No. No, you look over a little bit and you look off the side and you see a great mall beneath you. And you say, thank God for these guardrails because now I have the freedom to go down this street and not worry about whether I'm going to careen myself off to a fiery death. The law is an opportunity. God's commands are an opportunity. What a joy and a blessing it is to serve and love and obey our Father. Finally, Christian freedom brings peace and reconciliation. Christian freedom brings peace and reconciliation. You see, I think matters of liberty for Christians seem to be harder and harder for us to tolerate. You can see a little bit of that here in what Paul's saying. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It seems harder and harder for us to tolerate other Christians having freedom to come to a different conclusion than we come to. I mean, I've seen it in some of the craziest stuff you can imagine. What sort of school you send your kid to? I've seen this. I've seen Christian communities nearly split over these sorts of things. You know, I've seen, I've seen churches nearly split recently over COVID stuff. You know, COVID stuff. I won't get into all that. I don't want this church to split. But just kidding. Y'all are awesome. I've been great. 
I've seen churches almost split over all sorts of issues. I've seen Christians at, at, at loggerheads with one another over how we make choices about voting in a fallen world. I've seen churches and Christians fighting me, angry with each other because we just can't tolerate. I don't see how you can be a Christian and do X or Y or Z and it's things that are not clearly spelled out as sin in the Bible. And I want you to know that these areas ought to actually lead to peace and reconciliation among believers. That's why I think the Bible gives us some of this pressure release valve of having liberty of conscience for the individual because what's reality is the gospel is what ought to unite us. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And that's what ought to unite us with each other. But typically what we wind up doing is settling for a sort of superficial unity. We're happy as long as most of us are from the same neighborhood and most of us have the same values and most of us sort of think the same way and most of us by nature make similar decisions that really have nothing to do with the gospel, but that's what keeps us unified and then we sort of spread a veneer of Jesus over it and call that Christian unity. But Christian unity is most pronounced the less you naturally agree on. The more you find yourself at loggerheads with one another on most issues, the more unity there actually is in the gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with being similar in thought. And there are certainly things that lots of Christians come to believe because of what the Bible teaches. But often what we do is we settle for superficial unity rather than striving for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That which only the gospel can give us. I've watched over the last several years as lots of pockets of the church at large have fallen into this biting and devouring and consuming of one another. People who used to be dear friends and dear brothers who still agree on the gospel but disagree on one thing or another and have seen bitter, divisive breaks of fellowship. We have conscience requirements for fellowship. Not clear sin issues, but issues of liberty that we bite and devour one another over. May it never be so here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. May this always be a beacon that when people look in here and see the bunch of us in here, they say, now listen, there's something that keeps those folks together. Something draws them together. Something fosters that sort of love. Something is creating that sort of unity. This is not a group that could exist anywhere but in a church. That's what we want to see. That's how we want to grow. We want to be brought together by the Spirit. Now, my friends, when sin comes up, we're going to deal with sin. When major issues that God has been clear on come up, we're going to deal with them. But right now, on matters that aren't clear in the Scriptures... We're going to love one another no matter what. Now that's what you do with your family. That's what you do in your family. You've got that crazy uncle who says, Lord knows what, Thanksgiving dinner, what do you do? Well, that's uncle so-and-so. We love him. He's a little crazy, but that's okay. Or you've got that cousin who you vehemently disagree with. And you say, well, but I love him. That doesn't mean we're not going to be friends anymore. I'm not going to unfriend them on Facebook or not go to their wedding or any of these kinds of things because we're family. We love one another. Now, frankly, frankly, the issues of the day are eating into families as well. That's another sermon for another day. But my friends, this is a church family. 
This is who God has brought together. And the liberty of conscience that each of us have, whereas I might disagree with you on something. I may disagree with Woody or Nathan or Cole or Lydia or whoever, our staff, our deacons. We may have disagreements on things. I've talked to a lot of y'all about different things that I disagree with you about. I'm not sitting around hiding what I think. I wish I could hide what I think. I'm not good at it. No, we love one another because Jesus loved us first. We have a liberty of conscience that unites us in the gospel and the gospel alone. Do you feel that? Do you see it? Do you long for that? It's the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's the joy that we have in Christ that unites us together. Oh, be careful, my friends. Be careful that you don't bite and devour one another. And in so doing, become consumed by one another. Love is in the air this week. Love is in the air, and you are the people in the world who have the best opportunity to show it. Take all that freedom that Jesus has given you and use it as an opportunity for love. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a believer. I I sincerely believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. I believe it. You don't have to come down here to do that. Right where you are, you can do that. But if you want someone to talk to, I'll be here. Second of all, second of all, you may be a believer that just needs a little bit of time to pray. This altar's open, you can do it there. Or if you just need someone to talk to, man, I would love to talk with you and pray with you this morning. Finally, you may be searching for a church home. What a joy it would be to hear the news today that you desire to be a member at First Baptist Church. If you have questions or you just want to let me know, I'll be right here waiting on you. Look forward to it here in just a few moments. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.